Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. He is risen. Indeed, amen. Uh, We are, as Harrison said, we are so privileged to have you here with us. And I know that church is not something that everybody does all the time. This may feel very unfamiliar to you. Um, Church may feel even a little weird and strange today, but I want you to know, I said it last week, that you are so welcome here. And we love you um, as, as not just the pastoral staff or a few other staff people. We, as a church, we love you wherever you're coming from today. We thank God for you. And more importantly, I want you to know that God loves you. That is what Easter is all about. It is about the love of God, the unrelenting, outrageous, lavish love of God for people just like you. And there is nothing you can hold up to say, oh yeah, but, and roll out your scroll of sins, your transgressions, your mistakes, your neglects, any of that stuff. The cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb is bigger than anything you ever have done or haven't done. So, amen, see you next week. No, okay, well, now, having said that, I want to invite you to pray with me today. Lord, we love you, and Father, I feel almost inadequate getting up today and preaching in light of just what we've heard in music, Lord. You have been proclaimed so clearly. Um, Your love is just, it's, it's as if it's dripping off the ceiling beams. Who you are, what you have done, Jesus Christ, the one and only. And so, Father, today, even through the hearing of a sermon, um, a message, God, we want to love you back. And, Lord, I know there was a a, kind of a long time in my life where um, I went to church, and I was not in much of a condition to hear it. There have been times that I have read the Word of God, and it's been like reading a telephone book. And yet, Lord, by your grace, so many times in my life, you have either knocked down that Jericho wall of Uh, you know, hardness and fear and everything else, or Lord, you've just shot a ray of light through those bricks, and you have undone me. And and in those moments, I have have just realized your love and your grace and your goodness all over again. So I just pray that over everybody in this room, that we would just hear who you are. And Lord, we would just have the courage by your Holy Spirit to step in to life and life to the full in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you're not with us every week, I'll, I'll give you a quick catch-up. We've been working through the book of Romans. Um, we've, we've only gotten about three and a half uh, chapters in, and um, Paul has been leading us throughout this book to a glorious, life-changing truth, and the amazing thing is The delicious thing about it is, is that it just so happens that today we uncover that glorious truth. Um, A little secret in, uh, you know, kind of insider look into the world of preaching is every preacher plans on what they're going to talk about. You know, we look at the text and we go, well, today I'll go from here to here. Um, In reality, gents, it doesn't always work out that way, you know? I mean, we we get inspired or we camp out a little longer than we mean to. And, you know, sometimes a six-week sermon series turns into a 16-week sermon series. And so it just so happens that today, on Easter Sunday, we're about to take a plunge into this glorious, life-changing truth. So I invite you to hear the Word of God, and um, here's our disclaimer, our warning. This is a dense seven verses of Scripture, okay? So if you hear this and go, I think I got some of it, I don't know if I got all of it, that's okay. Uh, We'll take a good 
good, clean look at this today. So hear the Word of God, Romans 3, verses 21 through 27. This is the Apostle Paul writing to us, and here's what he has to say. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in, in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. So, here's the catch-up, all right? From Romans chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through Romans 3.20, Paul has been giving not just church people, he has been giving the whole world a wake-up call, okay? So, this is a gigantic wake-up call, and Paul, if you've been here, he has been painfully direct about our spiritual condition as human beings. Uh, And in short, it stinks, okay? Our spiritual condition as human beings walking around on the planet, it is terminal for everybody, okay? Um, we, we are all dying in sin. Sin is killing us. And, and so what he's done is he said, look, every person, regardless of rank or privilege or class or gender or any other label we want to throw up, every single one of us is unworthy of God. Um, we are spiritually condemned and we are shut out of salvation. And Paul says, look, the Word of God reveals that to us. I mean, it's just showing us that um, all the way up to this point, and there is nothing that you and I can do to overcome the sin in our lives. We can't fix it. You know, I use this phrase sometimes, you know, we, we, we can't jumpstart our hearts. There's, there's nothing we can do to reverse what has been done. And here was the kicker, not even through religion. You know, it's not like showing up and going through the motions, you know, and, you know, whatever the religious trappings are, even that doesn't do it. And one of my favorite commentators, one, the, the great pastor, Tim Keller, same name, no relation, oh, but he says that, that what Paul is doing all the way through Romans 3.20 is he's holding up the black cloth of the human condition. He's, he's just holding up the blackness and the darkness of sin for all people But now here in Romans 3.21, against that black drop of of, of all our just unworthiness and our sin, Paul holds up the diamond of the gospel. And some of you might think, well, Steve, this is a perfect chance for an illustration. Why didn't you use it? You should have got a black cloth and held it out and then got a diamond. Here's why I couldn't do it, because the hope diamond was not available. The diamond of the gospel is so big and so glittering, I, I could not find a diamond big enough to make the illustration work. But this, this is what Paul is doing here. The diamond of the gospel where God's righteousness comes to us. And just so you know what, what righteousness is, 
righteousness here, according to Paul, it means two things. Number one, it means when we get the righteousness of God, when we take this from God, this gospel of righteousness, what happens to us is, number one, we are no longer guilty of sin in God's eyes. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? Replay the tape of your life. You are not, by the way, you're not allowed to see the tape of my life, okay? Replay your thoughts, all of that. You are no longer guilty of sin in God's sight when you get the righteousness of God. And the second aspect of it is that from now on, you are a child of God. You are accepted as a child, and God goes from, you know, God up in the clouds or whatever the image is, he goes to Father, your Father. You know, someone says, who's your daddy? Just point up. That's what it means. And what is so hard for us to grasp is that this is a gift from God. It is a gift from God. We did not do anything to deserve it. And I'll tell you why that's tough for us. I think it's tough for humans in general, but it's really tough for us in America. Because, you know, in America, you know, it, we, we're taught that we have to work, right? You got to work to receive a reward, a paycheck. You want applause? You, you, you got to perform for the applause. You've got to earn and produce to get anything of value in your life. And listen, that is generically true. Basically, it is true. Down here, in earthly terms, that's a principle that holds up in just about every culture. The problem is it doesn't hold up spiritually. That's not how we get life spiritually. God holds out salvation for every single person. And him holding it out, it is an unconditional and an undeserved love gift. And the only way we can take that gift out of God's hands is by faith. Real, believing faith, even if it's small. And, and, and the, way we t- the, the faith that we exercise to take God's righteousness, it's actually not faith uh, or belief that there is a God. It, it's not belief that the, the, the church is a divine institution. It's not even faith that the Bible is true. It is faith that is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the sole object of saving faith. He is the one and the only one that we put our belief in. And so the the call, what Paul is getting to here, the call all over the gospel is that we put all of our trust, all of our hope, all of our belief, and again, it can be little, right? It can be, you might just have a measure of that, but you put it all on Jesus Christ. And when Paul uses the word we here, he means all of mankind, all of us. There there, there are no exclusions to this. You know, he says, look, there's not even a difference between a Jew and a Gentile in this matter. And we've said it a couple times lately. You know, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. We are all alike. We have all sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, the answer is the same for all of us. We all must look to Jesus Christ only for life and for salvation. It's simple, isn't it? Refreshingly simple. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He's another one of my favorites. He says, the one who has faith is the one who is no longer looking at himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was or did. He does not look at what he is now or what he is doing. 
He, he doesn't even look at what he hopes to be or will do in the future. Instead, he looks entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, and he rests in that alone. That's saving faith. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our salvation, is God's gift to us. And see, here's the thing, and this is another tough thing for us. Jesus Christ actually comes to all of humanity at no cost to humanity. He comes at no cost to us. Listen to this. Romans 3, 24 and 25 says this, says that we are all justified freely by God's grace through redemption. You know what redemption is? Redemption is when someone graciously and generously takes something back or buys something back that you can no longer afford. Redemption is when out of compassion, one person sets another person free of a burden that they can't handle. Let me tell you a story. Um, one time I was, I was good friends, this was years ago, okay, when I was much, much younger. So years ago, I, I had a good friend in my church named Murray, and Murray was a car salesman, and Murray and I, we used to always eat lunch at this uh, catfish house. It was fantastic. So Murray and I are going to meet for lunch, and so I get there, and Murray's not there, and he's always early, so I wait and I wait and I wait, and after a while I'm like, man, this is this is the pitch. You know, he's not going to show today. He must have forgotten. So I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well eat. So I get into my meal. I'm about halfway through it, and Murray shows up, and he goes, Steve, I am so sorry I'm late. I am so sorry. My, con- my redemption call went late. <laughs> and I said, Murray, what in the world is a redemption call? Brother, you're going to have to explain this to me. And he said, well, well here's what a redemption call is. Um, last month, we had an elderly couple and they bought this really nice car, one of the nicest cars on the lot. But last week, the husband died. And so today I went to her house with some paperwork, and we canceled her debt. And I said, oh, my gosh, that is incredible. And I, and I said, but i got to ask you the question, what happened to the car? And he said, well, she kept the car. I said, Murray, you've got to be kidding me. You guys are going to go broke like that as a business. And he said, Steve, that kind of thing happens like once every five years. But in in that case, that's what we do. It's just how our dealership does it. Here's the point. On a grander scale, actually on the grandest scale of all, this is what God did for you and I when it comes to our sin and our death. You know, we're lost. We, We were imprisoned. We were without hope in the world. I mean, it's just forget about it, you know, for for all of us. But God stepped in, and he canceled our debt at absolutely no cost to us. And you probably know where I'm going with this, but it did cost somebody something. In fact, it cost somebody everything when it comes to earthly life. Our freedom came at the price of Jesus Christ's life. Our redemption came at the shedding of his blood. That's why Paul refers to the shedding of his blood. Jesus shed his blood so that we could be free. And that's where Easter just comes crashing in to Romans 3. Here's a verse. I don't know how often you've seen this one, but it's, it's uh, in Deuteronomy. It's here in Galatians again. But it says this. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone 
who hangs on a tree, or in some of your translations, a pole. You know, trees in Scripture have incredible symbolism. Um, typically, when you, when you read about a tree and it's singled out in Scripture, it is a symbol of life. But there are many references in Scripture where a tree symbolizes death. Every now and then, a tree can actually stand for both life and death. You know, when you think of Genesis 2, uh, verse 9 and verse 17, where there you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is a tree of both life and death. So, so we have all of this, but there are references, clear references throughout Scripture where a tree is a symbol of death, and it's not just the cross. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, uh, and, and this is trees or woody plants that symbolize the judgment of God. Here's a very famous one. When Abraham is taking his son Isaac... Uh, up on top of the hill, and he is going to sacrifice him at God's command. On the way up that mountain, he sees something, right? I'm I'm just going to guess it's to the left today. I can't verify that biblically. But he he scans over, and what does he see? He sees an animal, right? What kind of an animal is it? It's a ram, and the ram is caught up in a wooden plant, a woody plant. It is a thicket. And Abraham is learning, and the angel will tell him in just a minute, he's going to back this up, but God's judgment in that moment has passed from Isaac to the ram. And then the angel verifies that. In 2 Samuel 18, 9, we have another one of these occasions. Um, Absalom, who is just the worst kid ever, right? Um, he's, just, he, he's set out to destroy the nation of Israel. He's tearing apart the kingship that God has put in place with David. Well, Absalom, is, he's riding through the forest, right, on a horse, and something happens to him. He is caught up in a tree by his hair. And Absalom must have had some strong roots because he is hanging from this tree. And David's men come up, and they see him hanging there. And there's a moment of indecision. There's a little bit of conversation, but they execute Absalom. Why? He is being judged by God. He is literally caught up in a tree. Here's another one, Joshua, uh, chapter 10, 26. Joshua will put all of the evil kings who had been, you know, besieging Israel, he put them to death how? On five wooden poles. Because in Scripture, to be crucified, it was to be guilty of an especially atrocious breach of God's covenant. To be crucified, it meant you were accursed of God, and it was public execution, punishment in the most shameful public way. I say all that, that was Jesus' life for six hours on Good Friday. It was Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world. So it was literally by his blood that we were set free from sin and death. The gift of life that came free to us as a gift, it came through the death of Jesus Christ. But it didn't just come through the death of Jesus Christ, did it? Because uh, looking at that cross, it's pretty empty today, isn't it? It didn't just come through the death of Jesus Christ, it came through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because he was the sinless, spotless you know, a perfect Lamb of God, God raised him to life forever. And yes, as Colleen's word pointed out, you know, that is also symbolic. It also demonstrates what happens to everybody who has Jesus Christ in their life. They pass from death to eternal life. 
And I, I love that the Holy Spirit just gave you that nudge to emphasize the glorious point of this message and Jesus Christ and what Paul is talking about here. But again, going back to the beginning, this only works. This only is true of us. This only happens to us if we receive Jesus Christ into our life by faith. That's when that glittering diamond of the gospel, the righteousness of the gospel, it falls on us. It is saving faith only in Jesus Christ. It is a faith that looks to the cross. It is a faith that looks to the blood of Jesus Christ. It is faith that looks to an empty tomb. And that's why Paul ends this passage the way, the way he does in Romans 3.27. He asks a rhetorical question to us. Okay, so where then is boasting? You know, where then is bragging? Where, where does, you know, any one of you, but since I'm up here, you know, where does Steve Keller, when does he get the opportunity to say, you know, folks, spiritually, you're looking at it. You know, here's what I did to save myself. You know, here's how I pulled myself up by my, beer, my, my spiritual bootstraps. Here's how I saved my pl- myself. It, it doesn't exist. It's, exclude, it's excluded. It's ridiculous. No one can say that. There is no boasting spiritually from any one of us about what we have done. Paul says instead, Galatians 6.14, May I never boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here, it's kind of a heart thing. He's saying, look, what Jesus did for me, on one hand, it drives me to my knees in humility. But in the next breath, it raises me up with just thanks on my lips, my heart overflowing with praise that this is what Jesus did. And that's why we get so excited on Easter. You know, if you, if you haven't been to church much on Easter, and you're like, man, these people are kind of jacked up today. What, this is why we're so excited. You know, a prisoner that gets set free out of nowhere. Um, you know, someone who deserved nothing but death, and now here we are, and we're breathing free air, and we're moving around in, in, in guilt and shame. And, you know, like, like before Christ in my life, I had no peace. Had a lot of fun, but no peace. Had a lot of things I looked forward to, but I had no hope. All of that changed through Jesus Christ, this resurrected Lord. And that's what makes Easter so amazing. You know, that, that's what makes even communion that we're going to take so, so incredible, both of them remind us of this tree. You know, this, this tree that symbolizes on one hand death. We look at that cross and we remember, man, that's where he died. That's where Jesus Christ died. But the cross is also empty. He was resurrected. Easter reminds us of that, that we are not who we used to be. And so what's ironic is I mentioned Genesis 2 at the beginning where, you know, there, and this is the only other place in Scripture where a tree symbolized life and death in the Garden of Eden. That's what the cross does. It symbolizes both death and life. And that's why, because Jesus Christ, who is the only one who ever did this, the only one who died on a cross and was raised back to life, he is the only one in whom we put everything I, Every chip, every marble, every ounce of belief, we put it on him. So here's the challenge today, okay? As we move to communion, I've got a challenge for all of us, all right? Everybody in the room, not just you, me also, and the challenge is this. First of all, if you do not know Jesus Christ, okay, you don't belong to him, he is not Lord and Savior, here's my simple appeal to you today. Receive him. 
receive him. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ is the life you are looking for. Trust me. Been there, done that. He is the one, okay? If you do know Jesus, though, but you would say, okay, I'm a Christian. I've already done that before. But if I take an honest look at my life, I've kind of lost a little bit of that first love. You know, the Bible talks about that. Revelations talks about that. Revelation, you know, lost our first love. If I look at myself and I say, you know, in, in all honesty, even though I'm here or somewhere like here most of the time or every week, I, I am old inside. I am cold inside. Jesus is less than life and life to the full or life abundant for me. Then today, look at the cross. Look at the cross and remember who he is. Remember what he did. And, and here's another challenge. For just a moment before communion, let the cross go back to its original symbolism for you, okay? For a moment, as you look at that cross, you're struggling, you're hurting, you're empty. Look at the cross. Let it be a place of death for just a minute, okay? Take whatever is in the way, whatever is holding you back, whatever's got you old and cold, take it, and just by faith and prayer, nail it to the cross this morning. Anger, fear, apathy, judgment, you can fill in the blank, you know your own life, nail it to the cross in prayer. I was doing that all the way through worship. Just, Lord, I take this and I, I, I just put it, put it on the cross this morning. And as you do that, okay, because that's repentance, that's confession, as you do that, just be real clear or, or, or just be real quick also to realize that cross is empty. Because of that cross, everything that you put up there has been wiped out by the blood of Jesus Christ. The cross and the grave are no longer places of death for you. That's my favorite flip in the Christian life. Everybody on the planet looks at the tomb or looks at the cross, they think death. We look at it and we go, oh, it's just a doorway. Let, let it be the doorway today. And then as, as, as we go to communion, let it be a celebration. Let it be a celebration because if you belong to Jesus Christ, you are alive forever. Forever. You resurrection people look pretty good today. That's what I'm saying from up here. I mean, this man, lean into it and then, then lean into this reality too. That the more, the more you lean into following Christ, the, 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 you know, the, the, the more we look to him and that faith stays in him and we bring it back to him through worship, through prayer, um, through obedience and love, the more we just keep on coming to life. And if you wonder why that is true, it's John 17, 3. It says, this is eternal life, that they, and you know who the they is in this, in this verse? It's you, that you might know the one true God and Jesus Christ, his son, whom he has sent. Good, good news. Right on. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.